0: Today on Summit Life, Pastor J.D. Greer talks about the benefits and hazards of ambition.
1: To desire success, to desire marriage and children, those are good God-given desires. But it is, listen, it is how we respond when our ambitions are disappointed that reveals whether they were godly or selfish ones.
2: Welcome to Summit Life. I'm J.D. Greer, and we are so glad that you joined us today. Well, you might have noticed a new voice that began our program today. I want to introduce you to our new host, Molly Bidovich. She has just joined our Summit Life team. So, Molly, welcome.
0: Thanks, J.D. I'm excited to be here and to join this team.
2: You know, Molly, you're joining us at the very beginning of a teaching series I preached quite a few years ago called Home Wreckers. It's an in-depth look at, at the ways to avoid a lot of the dangers and the pitfalls that often corrode our relationships and destroy our homes. But don't let the title fool you we're gonna be covering so much more than just marital issues. So let's just hit the ground running, and for all of you listening with us today, be sure to stick around to the end of today's program where you can get to know Molly a little bit better.
0: Looking forward to that, JD. For now, let's jump right in and join Pastor JD as he begins a message in Philippians he titled, Redeeming Ambition.
1: I'm gonna start this series in a very unusual place. And that is, I'm going to talk for a couple of weeks about how God's word teaches you that you should think about your workplace. And we're going to do that today from the book of Philippians. So if you got your Bible, I want you to open it to Philippians. Now, some of you would ask this question. You say, well, if the series is about home wreckers, why are we going to talk about our jobs? Good question. Here's why. Because for many of you, especially some of you men, Your home life is out of whack because your job life is out of whack, right? I mean, think about it. Think about it. What is the source of most of the stress that you end up bringing into your home? Work. You're dissatisfied in your job. You hate your boss. Money is tight. You're under a lot of pressure. And so you take that out on your family. And for many of you, if you could ever get your job life right, then a lot of issues at home would just end up resolving themselves, The majority of your adult life is spent at work. And I just go ahead and acknowledge to you, I think the church has done a patently bad job at teaching you what it means to follow Jesus in the workplace. Sometimes we talk about working for God as if it's like 45 minutes that you volunteer at your church on the weekend. And hear me, I want you to volunteer at your church on the weekend. It's just that I know that for many of you, your primary ministry is not volunteering for 45 minutes here on the weekend. Your primary ministry is... Happens happening in the place where you spend 50 60 hours a week, and that is in the workplace I've often pointed out to you that how many miracles are there in the, are there in the book of Acts? 40 that's right. There are 40 miracles. There's like one person that said it. That's right 40 miracles in the book of Acts How many of them happen outside of the workplace? 37 of them 37 of them so question where does the power of God most want to manifest itself? Is it here? Is it is it right here through my preaching? Well, I mean, I hope a little bit, but only about three fortieths of it. 37 fortieths of it wants to happen through you in the workplace. So we want to see you learn how to take the kingdom of God, how to take the power of God out of this place into the workplace. And that's what I want to try to teach you a little bit about in the next couple weeks. Here is specifically the subject for today, and that is the role of ambition in your life. Ambition is often what drives us in our work. Now, ambition on the surface has gotten a pretty bad rap, isn't it? When you say that somebody is a really ambitious person, that usually has a fairly negative connotation. We usually think of of Michael Douglas in Wall Street, greedy, proud, cutthroat, overly competitive. And so let me be really clear, right? The Bible, in no uncertain terms, tells you that selfish ambition is wrong and sinful. Um, James chapter 3, verse 13 tells you that selfish ambition is the source of all kinds of bad sins in your life bitterness jealousy exploitation constant dissatisfaction and that over competitive nature that some of you live with that just makes you really annoying to be around can I get a, an amen from some wives out there alright yeah, that overly competitive nature that means you're always competing so Jeremiah 45 5 tells you do you then seek great things for yourself seek them not but see there's another kind of ambition that is good and right It was ambition that led David to expand the borders of Israel. It was ambition that led Solomon to build the temple. It was ambition that led Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It was ambition that led Paul to extreme measures to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul even said this, Romans 15, 26, I have made it my ambition to take Christ where he's never been named. And I'm going to work harder at that than anybody works at their job. The gospel writers say about Jesus that he was more ambitious than anybody who ever lived. John chapter two, verse 17 says about Jesus, zeal for God's house had eaten him up. You could translate that word zeal as ambition. Ambition for the house of God had eaten him up, right? Yes, selfish ambition has caused greedy executives to exploit the poor and ruin our economy. Selfish ambition has driven some dictators to drive nations into war. Selfish ambition has made some men and women destroy their families and neglect their children But in our reaction to that we don't need to get rid of all ambition. We need to redeem ambition We need to rescue it. We live in a world that is desperately in need of people Who should be ambitious for the right things and for the right reasons? So let me be real clear the goal of this sermon is that you become more ambitious not less. That ambition that some of you have burning in your heart that has made you such, what Paul is showing you about himself is pretty remarkable here. Paul is genuinely disappointed, but he hasn't grown bitter and he hasn't given up on his dreams. He is a man that is disappointed in his ambitions, but he has not given up on his dreams. He faces disappointment without disillusionment. He is genuinely sad at his losses, but he is not in despair. He is hungry for more, yet happy with less. We say there are 1.7 million people in Raleigh, and we want every one of them to have a chance to hear the gospel and to see it up close before they die. That is ambitious. And God has told us to be ambitious for those things. So, Paul displays the good kind of ambition in the book of Philippians. The good kind of ambitions. And I want to show you, try to show you what his ambition looked like, and then give you some litmus tests that you can take Along the way, as we go through this, to, to, you can test yourself to see whether or not your ambition is the good kind or the bad kind. Um, all right, background of the book of Philippians. Background of the book of Philippians. Things are not going that well for Paul. Paul's career has taken a pretty substantial turn for the worse, and not a really good time in his career. He's, he's later on in his career as an apostle, and you know by this time, things really ought to have settled out. This is when you ought to start enjoying the fruits of your labor. But Paul, when he's writing the book of Philippians, is in prison. People are telling lies about him. Other people have taken credit for his work and then trashed his reputation. I mean, that's, I mean, you ever had that happen? I mean, it's bad enough when somebody takes credit for your work, but then when they trash you in the process, have you ever had that happen to you? That's what is happening to Paul. Somebody has taken credit for what he did and then is tearing him down to the people that he spent so much time with. And in Philippians, he's unable now to be with those people that he loves, This Philippian church is in a lot of danger because there are people who are trying to corrupt the doctrine that Paul taught them, and they are literally being persecuted. And like anybody who has children, he wants to be with those that he loves, and he can't because he's shut up in prison. Have you ever had that situation where somebody you love was in danger and you wanted to protect them, you wanted to provide for them, but you just couldn't for whatever reason? I I remember um, the first year uh, that I was married, I I was speaking at a youth camp down in, in Florida, and at 1 30 in the morning, my, my, my cell phone rings, and my wife, who, you know, before we have kids, obviously, she's at home by herself, and she is convinced that somebody's in the house. This is not just like I got spooked, but I, I think I hear somebody walking around downstairs. Now, I am two hours from the nearest airport. There's no possible way that I can, I, I can get there. That feeling of hopelessness, like I want to protect her. My new wife, I want to protect her, but I can't. That's how Paul feels about this church right now. His ambitions are good ones. He wants to protect them. He wants to help them. But he just can't. And the dangers that they're facing are no, no less real than what my, my, my wife thought that she was facing. Turns out it was nothing, or at least the person left. I, I don't know because you know, nothing ever came of it. But the, the whole point I'm making to you is that Paul is in some pretty discouraging circumstances. His ministry is not surging. It's lagging. His ambitions, which he thought were good ones, are being unfulfilled. That's when most of us grow discontented. Right there, isn't it? When our ambitions are being unfulfilled and a lot of things are not turning out like we hoped they would or like we expected that they would. And so you think, well, by now, I ought to be in this leadership position. By now, my career ought to be here. By now, I should have been making this much money. At this age, I should have been married. At this age, I should have kids. I should have traveled here. I should have accomplished that. And listen, those are not wrong desires. In fact, many of those desires show that you're growing spiritually to desire leadership positions, to desire success, to desire marriage and children. Those are good, God given desires. But it is, listen, it is how we respond when our ambitions are disappointed that reveals whether they were godly or selfish ones. Take a look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Philippians 4 where we'll begin paul says i have learned i have learned in whatever situation whatever means in prosperity or in prison in whatever situation i am to be content verse 12 i know how to be brought low and i know how to abound when you abound is when you land the contract it's when you get the raise it's when you're engaged it's when you're pregnant All right? brought low is when you face failure you get overlooked for the promotion you're still single and all your friends have gotten married you you, you still don't have grandkids you're knocking on the door of your dreams and it just won't open and your your knuckles are bloody from having knocked for so hard and so long and you're looking at heaven saying god why why what did i do wrong how come this door hasn't opened for me verse 12 in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I, I love that phrase I have learned. You wanna know why? Because I tend to think Paul was like some, some something different that he just kinda got this stuff thrown in when he got saved. Like he just came out content. You know, and, and, and you think, wouldn't it be awesome if that's how we fix, like, discontentment in our lives? Is, it's like, a, like an email attachment. You just point, click, and apply, and it comes in and it fixes everything in your computer. Like those little Microsoft updates they send out, like every other day to fix the bugs in your computer. Bill Gates made a statement that if the car industry had kept up with the computer industry, that we would all be driving cars that went safely 150 miles an hour and got 200 miles to the gallon. And one of the, the car executives said, "Well, yeah, but who wants to drive a car that crashes every 45 minutes?" Um, which I thought was helpful uh, <laughs> to make. But, but wouldn't it be awesome if that's how you fixed the discontentment bug in your life, is you just the Holy Ghost just dropped off a little update package that update, updated your spiritual life, and bam, you're content. That would be awesome. But that's just not how it works. Not for you, not for me, not for Paul. Paul said, "I have learned this. I learned it." And then he says, "It was a secret. He not only tells us just to be content, he didn't just tell us what to do, like be content, get on with it. He says there's a secret to this. And then he gives us a verse that is the most misquoted verse in all of the New Testament. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Basketball players quote this verse before they take a foul shot. You're going through your routine, you spin the ball backwards, you kind of like, I do all things across the and you shoot your shot. Paul's not talking about foul shots here. Paul is talking about the ability to be content in all things. Scholars say that that word that's translated through, through him, really ought to be translated in him. He's saying, I have found in Christ both the resources to succeed and the resources to have my dreams disappointed. What Paul is showing you about himself is pretty remarkable here. Paul is disappointed, genuinely disappointed, but he hasn't grown bitter, and he hasn't given up on his dreams. He is a man that is disappointed in his ambitions, but he has not given up on his dreams. He faces disappointment without disillusionment. He is genuinely sad at his losses, but he is not in despair. He is hungry for more, yet happy with less. He wanted to preach to large audiences, but he was content to sit in prison. He's not sitting there in prison, angrily brooding over the question, God, by now I was supposed to be here. God, what's wrong with me? God, what's wrong with you? He's not doing that. Paul is not taking it out on those around him either. Isn't that what what we do a lot? A lot of us are disappointed at work, and so we take it out on our families, trying to get them to fill in that gap in our heart that's been left by the disappointment we faced in our careers. You're going to see in the book of Philippians that the Philippians had, they let Paul down in some ways. And Paul is not writing them from prison going, seriously guys, seriously, after all that I've been through for you, this is how you repay me, this is how you respond. No, he's overflowing with grace and forgiveness to them. He's not taking it out on them. It is how we respond when our ambitions are disappointed that reveals whether they are godly or selfish ones. How do you handle it when you don't make the million dollars? And even more than that, you, don't even, you can't even hardly make ends meet this year. When you're not married, when you don't have kids, when you didn't get into the program, how do you respond? You get mad at God, you give up on your dream, you despair about yourself, you take it out on others. Paul could face disappointment with contentment because his ambitions were godly ones, and they were godly ones because they were rooted in Christ. So here's the question. What does it mean to have your ambitions rooted in Christ? In Christ is one of those phrases that, to be honest, to a lot of you sounds like spiritual mumbo jumbo, doesn't it? I'm in Christ. What does that mean? I don't know, but I'm in Him. Really? I mean, you like you wake up, you know, at four o'clock in the morning, strumming Chris Tomlin tunes on the harp you have beside your bed. That's in Christ. I, you're like, I don't know what it means. I'm going to show you four things that Paul meant by in Christ from the Book of Philippians. These are not what JD thinks it means to be in Christ. These are what Paul is explaining to you in Philippians that he means by that phrase, in Christ. Okay, here we go, number one. Paul had found his approval in Christ. Paul had now found his approval in Christ. This is in chapter three, beginning about verse five. Paul starts going through a list of his accomplishments. It would be kind of like his resume or his CV for those of you in the academic world. And it's pretty impressive by anybody's standard, especially for somebody in that day. Paul's like, you know, I came from the right family. I went to the right school I Had the top job in the country most sought-after job. I was a rising star in that job, and I was famous And then he says this verse 8 and I count everything Everything that you would have drooled for everything you worked for I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord I count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ that word rubbish, by the way, scholars tell us, is a really interesting word. It's the Greek word skubala. Say the word skubala. Say skubala. skubala. <laughs> <laughs> you just cussed in Greek. Skubala is a word that, and this, uh, this is not gratuitous crassness, okay? Skubala is a word that is very rough, and it really ought to be translated something like crap. Actually, it could probably translate as something else, but I don't feel comfortable saying that, all right? Paul says those Harvard degrees... That Pulitzer Prize, that Congressional Medal of Honor, that $200,000 a year salary, that national championship, it's all crap compared to the worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Jesus gives my soul more fulfillment and more significance than I could have found in anything I obtained some of you men are, are driven to work at the expense of your families because you're trying to find a satisfaction and an approval in your work. So you're working, working, working and chasing, chasing, chasing and you're trying to prove yourself what you need. That satisfaction and identity your soul craves is not found by achieving, achieving a certain position or making a certain salary. It's given as a gift in Christ. Number two, Paul knew what he deserves. He deserved. Paul knew what he deserved. This is in chapter 2. I'll summarize there halfway through chapter 2. Paul says, I now view myself and what is happening to me, I view it through the lens of what I deserve. You see, another secret of contentment and unfulfilled ambitions is understanding what you deserve because the heart of discontentment is not getting what we think we deserve. When you complain, when you complain, which for some of you is eight or nine times a day. Eight or nine times an hour for some of you. When you complain, what is going on as you were saying in your heart, I deserve better than I have right now. I deserve better than I have right now and I'm not getting it, so I'm going to complain about it. Some of you are going to think this is over the top. But it's not. What does the gospel teach you about what you deserve? According to the gospel, what do you deserve? It starts with H, rhymes with L. Hell. And when you understand... That what you and I really deserve is that. That it changes our attitude to everything that we actually have in life. I'm trying to teach this to my kids right now. And I know some of you are going to think this is over the top, but I really want them to learn this. I had this conversation with my five-year-old yesterday. You could ask her, my five-year-old Allie. Allie, you're complaining again. What does complaining show that you think you deserve? Allie, better things than I have. Allie, what do you really deserve? Hell. So what does what you have now equal? Grace. You might think that is over the top, but that is exactly how the Bible teaches you to see your life. The Puritan Thomas Watson said it this way, if we have not what we desire, well, we have not, we excuse me, we have more than we deserve. You think you don't have what you deserve. You're right. And you can thank God for that. And when you realize that, all of a sudden, you find it remarkably easier to be content. There's kind of a, there's kind of a Disney-ish oprah version of contentment, soapbox number two, all right, that gets passed off a lot of times as the secret of contentment. So let me just deal with it real quick. It, it basically goes like this. I, I'll give you the Christian version of it. So here you are, you're in your job, and you're not satisfied because you can't drive the cars your friends drive, and you don't live where they live, and you're just dissatisfied, and you think, God, how come you haven't given me more? And then you go on a mission trip. And you go on the mission trip, and when you get overseas, you start to see people who really live without anything. And you're talking with some of these little kids, and they're like, whoa, you got food in your cabinet? You got, like, extra food that you can't up, and you put it, you know, and you've got one of those little grindy things that grinds up food you don't eat? Are you serious? You got a whole house just for your car called a garage? We have like 19 people that live in one room in our house. Seriously? Then you go to a leper colony and you see people who are in real deprivation and you're like, oh, my life is not so bad after all. And you come back and you're just content with what you have because you've seen how some other people live. Right? I guess there is a little truth in that. But here's the problem with that. It always wears off like that. Two weeks tops. That's the mission trip buzz. And you come back and then you're bitter again because you're not driving as nice a car as a friend you have has. The Bible never ever tells you to gain contentment by comparing your situation with somebody else's. It tells you to gain contentment by comparing your situation with what you deserve. And when you understand what it is you deserve, then everything suddenly begins to look like grace and you will say with Thomas Watson, if we have not what we desire well, then I have more than I deserve. The fact that I woke up this morning anywhere else but hell is God's grace to me. The fact that I have family, the fact that I am breathing, the fact that I'm healthy, whatever I have, wherever you are, it is grace.
0: God's grace supplies us with an important perspective shift. It's all because of him. You're listening to JD Greer and Summit Life. Today's message is called Redeeming Ambition, and it's from our new series called Home Wreckers.
2: Now, Molly, I've known you for quite a few years because you've been part of our, our Summit worship family here for a long time, and, and uh, so we've done a lot of ministry together. But but why don't you tell us, how did you first come to sit in this seat and be part of the, of the mission that we're doing here at Summit Life?
0: So my husband and I have been part of the Summit Church since 2011. We both quickly started volunteering with the worship ministry and I became a part of the staff team a couple years later. The mission to create a movement of disciple making disciples quickly became our life mission as well. So now we get to raise our daughter and son in a church culture that lives out a joyous, generous, bold faith. And we're so thankful to be a part of a church that truly has experienced the grace of God over so many years. Well,
2: Molly, that is great to hear. And we are just very grateful to have you as part of our Summit Life team now.
0: Thanks, J.D. You know, just like our own individual stories help to create one beautiful story of God's grace, so do the stories of those who came before us here at our church. We'd love to get you a copy of our new Summit Life exclusive book called Hidden Graces, eight surprising stories that led to a dying church's revitalization today. Get your copy when you give $25 or more. If you've been growing through this ministry, diving deeper into the gospel with us, give us a call at 866-335-5220. And remember to ask for our new book titled Hidden Graces, That number again is 866-335-5220. Or you can give and request the resource online at jdgreer.com. I'm Molly Vitovich, So glad to have you with us today. Be sure to join us again on Tuesday as Pastor J.D. concludes today's message on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. This program was produced and sponsored by J.D. Greer Ministries.